I'm Jessica Minhas, and welcome to All Go First. We are a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting you on your journey of hope, healing, and freedom. And today on this episode, we have a really special guest, Aaron Wadwin. He is a researcher who focuses on hip hop as a therapy approach for trauma. So cool. He is going to talk about how he found this unique passion and how this work is really changing the lives of a lot of people in homeless shelters. I can't wait for you to hear it. Let's get started. Welcome to All Go First. I'm joined by a very special guest that was introduced to me by another dear friend, Dr. Elliot Gann, Aaron Wadwin. He is a researcher, he's a social worker, and he is studying the creative arts and how we can think about different therapy modalities that are just, I think, a little unusual when we think about therapy. We're not thinking about hip hop and we're not thinking about podcasts and stuff where right. we're thinking about like laying on the couch. We're or... totally thinking about laying on the couch. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you're working on some really interesting research at the moment. You've developed some really cool curriculum. Right. So right now, I spend half my week at a group practice working with clients who are mainly youth and young adults, but also some older adults who experience, you know, with a variety of anxiety, depression, relationship issues, and all sorts of other difficulties. So I'm doing yeah. clinical work a few, half my week, and then the other half of the week, I'm working out of a, on a NIH-funded research study at NYU in the Silver School of Social Work, which is led by Dr. Michelle Munson, who developed this intervention called Just Do You, which tries to help improve engagement in mental health services among young youth and young adults, particularly those who are mar- socially and economically marginalized, receive it, receiving care at public mental health treatment centers. The intervention uses like creative arts, music, podcasts, visual art, and also like some you know, social learning and motivational interviewing to try and help young adults formulate the belief that, hey, I can get something out of coming to treatment and this can help me achieve my goals. And also trying to reduce their levels of stigma and increase their levels of hope and trust. My gosh, that's a lot. Yeah. And trying to orient them in a more positive way to treatment because oftentimes they drop out and that leads to I mean, like we all all drop out. Yeah. Yeah. So it's trying to improve. So because if they don't drop out, they often do better. So trying to use creative ways to help them do them just do you that's why it's called just do you <laughs> i i mean i definitely have thought about quitting therapy i'm sure listeners out there have been like why bother going this is terrible and yes i'm definitely stopping there are so many reasons not finding the right therapist just generally it is terrible to go to therapy sometimes if you don't see how it's good. Like it just takes yeah. so long to try and get to a place where you start reaping the benefits because yeah. you are building all those tools and those take some time. Yeah. So yeah, so like why would you bother? I mean, like what are you telling these young yeah. people? I mean, it sucks to talk about painful and difficult things in a very traditional way. Yeah. So no, who who would want to spend? You know, who wants to do that? I takes no. a lot of courage. It's, you know, so and it's. That's why I think creative ways of doing it are important. You mentioned something I thought was really interesting, this idea of how do we inspire someone to have trust in the process that it will work. Yeah. I think that relates to some of the work at NYU because you can't trust every provider. What is trust? How I interpret it is like a sense of, you know, you can... I don't want to use the word trust again, but like that you can rely rely on someone yeah. and that you can have confidence in someone to open up about things that are 
difficult and that you might not feel judged by that. So, so someone is hoping that their ability to have a safe space yes. with someone. And then you mentioned this in a part of the research I was reading. It's not just the idea of trust, but it's also the idea of trust and hope and how those work together. Right. Trust, hope, stigma, and our sense of identity are like some of the big reasons of why youth Youth in particular tend to like drop out of care. I mean, but like I think adults, right? Adults too. Yeah, Yeah, it's relevant to everyone. Yeah, totally. So finding ways to help empower people and to talk about so they don't feel as much stigma and they can and they gain a sense of better trust. It's always so important to see to think about different ways, as our board member Dr. Robin Stern says, I think very wisely. There are many paths up the mountain for healing. So it's not a one-size-fits-all. So on that point, though, you're also doing some really interesting research with Dr. Elliot Gann around hip-hop music therapy, which I think is so fascinating. I know myself, like, I never even thought that that was a possibility, hip-hop as a therapy modality at all. And when I say therapy modality, I mean, like, different means of therapy. There's so many therapy modalities, like cognitive behavioral therapy. There's, like, emotional-based therapy, trauma-informed therapy. There's... A million different ABC, types. CBT. Yes, ABC. all the letters. All right. Yes, there's so many acronyms. It's almost like the military. I heard that the military has like a million acronyms. That's <laughs> when like you just talk in letters to each other if you're in the service. But I guess you just talk in letters to each other if you're in mental health, right. practitioner, provider as well. You actually come from the area of New York City, mm-hmm. Long Island, right? Uh, Manhattan. Oh, excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> Manhattan. Okay. But you went to Hofstra University. I did, yeah. I okay. Did That's why I got it. Okay. Yeah. Hofstra, is, Hofstra, for those of you listening, is in Long Island. I wasn't totally off. So I didn't get, I didn't go that far away. Okay. Yeah. New so stay close. Did you always want to go into mental health? Is it just, it seems like, um, you know, like go into banking, go into like, go into marketing. Why right. would you want to do that? What made you decide to go into social work? So by the time I graduated, I knew I, w- I had done about like one or two internships just during my undergrad as in like psychology, mental health. I was at like a, a queen, the, the, the Queens County Supreme Court and a drug diversion and mental health court program. So that was wow. like, whoa, this is, you know, it really, it really stimulated me. What, and what's happening in that So people who, it's a newer, well, not that, but like over the past, I think like maybe 15, 20 years or so, inst- like there's this whole movement of instead of putting people behind bars who for nonviolent offenses that have a mental illness or a substance use disorder it's instead of incarcerating them because that doesn't really that doesn't help them and makes things worse it's, it's sort of mandating them and diverting them into a mental health court or a drug diversion court that they can be like mandated towards outpatient treatment or sometimes inpatient treatment and follow up with the judge as a way is, instead of being incarcerated is this kind of a new program or approach? I don't know it, no I think over the past like 15 years or so yeah okay so you were kind so, of so i did that during my there. senior year and then yeah. I, that sort of solidified all right i'm definitely interested in mental health and then i took a gap year and i so i got a entry level job as a case manager at a psychiatric homeless shelter in the south bronx which was really intense it was a homeless shelter for men 18 and over who had a severe and persistent mental illness or and you're how old homeless. at this point so i was like so you're 20 you're just like fresh you're 23 fresh out out you're in the south bronx south bronx white jewish kid from the upper west side oh brilliant yeah so it was uh you're really setting yourself up for for like bonding with the with your population there 
Right. So when I was working there, like that summer, I had met, been connected with Elliot, Elliot again, who you had here. And he, I, I found out about his work, like using hip hop and beat making as a way to, in psychology. And I was like, wow, like that's, that's sort of, I've always loved hip hop. I've always loved music. And I really am interested in mental health now. And then as I was working in the shelter, I just noticed that they had some, well, just the purpose of the shelter was people would come in virtually off after being going into an intake shelter. For the most part, like off the street, they would be placed here. And since they all had a severe and persistent mental illness and a mega history of trauma, they would often be unmedicated, very symptomatic. And it, it was a very intense setting. There were like metal detectors, security all over the place. There were a lot of 911 calls for fights that would break out and... It, it, it can become very chaotic at times. So, did you find that a lot of the homeless population had histories of trauma? Yeah, like like almost a hundred percent. Really? Yeah, there's like articles on that. I don't know the exact number, but over eighty percent. And we were talking doubt. that there is actually a difference between when we talk about trauma. There's actually two right silos of trauma. Right. So there's the more traditional PTSD, which is like in the in the DSM, and that's typically a single event trauma. So like a soldier goes to war and there's many different forms of it, but like, you know, experiences a horrific thing that happens right in front of them, someone dying, someone getting their arm blown off or, and, you know, after that, it starts to have flashbacks and starts to have nightmares and starts night terrors and emotionally dysregulated up and down. And and so that's in reliving that experience, it gets like, they get stuck in that experience. And then there's complex trauma which is not in the, in the DSM yet, but there's been a huge movement of, like, of research on it and studying it, which is that many people have trauma histories who have not necessarily had a single event PTSD-like experience. And that's typically like between the ages of like zero and 18, at what they call adverse childhood experiences of people who've had like repetitive traumatic events like uh, childhood sexual abuse, emotional abuse, uh, physical abuse, and other forms of that at such a young age when you're like developing these perceptions about yourself and learning how to like we were talking about trust you know parents and caregivers and right. people and the brain's so like vulnerable then when you have these experiences that put fear in your body and your mind that really locks in in a very different way and that can span there's a ton of different health risks that poses for when you grow older like there's the famous like ad, uh, adverse childhood experiences study which they interviewed like I don't know, 50,000 people and and they found like the people who had like more ex reported experience like ace what they call aces mm -hmm. very specific kind of things that happen they were clearly linked to like various health yeah, outcomes like so smoking heart disease alcoholism you know all sorts of different health. yeah adverse childhood experience it's a 10 point diagnostic yeah. it's a simple diagnostic it just is like Aaron's saying, it's um, have you had a parent incarcerated? Right. Um, did your house burn down? That was one of them, which yeah. I thought was really interesting. And when I took it, I actually had nine out of ten <laughs> of of the criteria, and I'm, I always am just like, wow, I'm so fortunate that I've had access to mental health care because anytime I hear about populations who have exposure to long term stress or trauma, I know that. I'm just very lucky that any one of those people in shelters mm. that could have easily have been me, and which is why I'm so yeah. passionate about helping people along their trauma recovery right. process. Right. Adverse childhood experiences now is actually taking is really starting to gain momentum on a national level, which is super exciting. The National Trauma Institute is really right. starting to have a very big presence in the conversation around pediatric 
care. Mm-hmm. And gosh, I'm like a fangirl of Dr. Nadine Burke in oh, California. Yeah. She Great just, yes, she has an amazing TED Talk. And she just became, um, I think two years ago, the California general surgeon. I mean, she's, she's a mom of three. She's gorgeous. She's a pediatrician. I mean, there's so many reasons to admire her, but she also, like Aaron Sane, has been a massive champion of of ACEs. And to Aaron's point, too, when we're talking about trauma and the way that developmentally trauma affects us, it's just the epigenetics of how we process that long-term exposure to cortisol and how that deregulates not just our mind, but our body's ability to process cortisol as we grow older. And there's some really fascinating articles that, Erin, you need to check out from John Hopkins about, well, and this is interesting because I have a brain disease, but there's some some correlating studies being done right now between particularly women and long-term autoimmune issues and the correlation between aces as children so anyway that's like my side tangent it gets me really excited because it is becoming yes it's it's really exciting because it is getting on the table finally after so long that this study was done i think in 1992 maybe yeah so like in the shelter majority had significant history of trauma and going back to what you were saying we had like therapeutic groups there that were more traditional like anger management because people with a trauma history like have anger and you know and also just like they were living in a homeless shelter and without housing there's like a Maslow's hierarchy of you right know, you don't totally. have your most basic needs and so like there, these anger management positive thinking and you know some and but it was often very difficult to engage people in those groups. And it was, yeah, absolutely. yeah it's like, you know, do you want to come to anger management? And it's like, uh, not really, you know, <laughs> or, you know, so. You said it really well outside. We, we yeah, always have were... like a kind of dialogue with our guests beforehand. But Aaron, you were saying that like, who would want to go to anger management when you don't have housing? Right. Like they'd say, you, you I don't want to positive wanna, think my way into housing. Positive thinking and it's like, fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this was around the time I met Elliot and I was like, you know, this whole idea of hip, using hip hop and mental health for engagement, it just sounds so relevant here. So I proposed this idea to start this group. I would say, like, you know, we're listening to Jay-Z on the second floor. We're listening to Nas on the second floor. And that would attract more people than. Do you want to come, come ta- talk about anger? feelings? About- right. <laughs> yeah. Right. I'm looking through the sort of papers that have been developed around this theory and the songs that were listed, I was like, oh, Nas and like Jadakiss, Jay-Z. The top one was I from Kendrick, Kendrick Lamar. Yeah. I would never, ever look at these songs and be like, wow, there's like some therapy, therapeutic component of it. But you had talked a little bit earlier also about that these narratives are coming from where hip hop birthed out of. Mm-hmm. These are places where there's trauma. Right. And I think that's like the important thing to start too, that like hip hop evolved in the 1970s out of the South Bronx, which is so appropriate that I was working in the South Bronx too, such a connection in the birthplace in a response to social injustice and harsh community conditions. And it it created this outlet for marginalized youth to speak out against these conditions and gain a better sense of empowerment like public enemy, right? Like fight the power, right? Like there's all these narratives historically in hip hop from then up to today that have just narratives of community and self-improvement and the betterment of their communities and individual. So Kendrick, Nas, like these are just like a handful of people out of so many, but 
when you when we listen like Kendrick's song I, which was we used it because it was like such a popular song too on the billboards, that the whole narrative is talking about like how he, he loves himself. Yeah, totally. and then at the same time he's talking about that he's been dealing with depression ever since an adolescent. He could never see the blessing. So talking about like this gaining a self acceptance of himself, and yeah. then also millionaire, successful artist talking about that he's dealt with depression and anxiety and all these mental health difficulties since a young age. When we're talking about stigma, right? Like, so see, having someone listen to that and be like, wow, this person is really successful. I'm not alone in this. Like Kendrick talks about this. J. Cole talks about this. Nas talks about this. So many different artists, not beyond hip hop too, just talk about all these things that they've been through. And that can be such a powerful tool to help feel less stigma around talking about mental health. And it's hard to put words to stuff. So hearing these people that, right. you know, I think you it's were saying hip hop is the largest genre in the world. Yeah, it's the, I, I believe it's the most streamed genre of music in the United States. And I think in France, it's the second most. Wow. This, this opportunity is like right in front of us. Right. When you were talking to the people that you were serving in this shelter saying like, come up, mm -hmm. we're, we're listening to Nas or whatever on this other floor. Or is there like a story that sticks out for you about like somebody yeah. that comes to mind that yeah. really like was impacted by this? Yeah. So the group that I started running was based on Ralph, Dr. Raphael Travis's Muse Use model that he developed, which is this model of individual and community empowerment. What is empowerment? Empowerment is creating a space to help people able to make decisions that they want to make and more uh, a greater sense of confidence in themselves and a greater sense of power that they have in the context of disadvantages that they're facing and obstacles that may be in the way so they can feel more like they're able to attack they're able something, to do they're able to do it and there's not as much hope there the model goes from five dimensions of esteem resilience growth community and change and so during the group each week we would do a different dimension of that like we would start with esteem and for esteem we would use a song for example there's many but like kendrick because he's talking about i i love myself right so then that would be a segue into having a conversation about, we would first talk about, all right, when you listen to this song, is there anything that stands out? Is there anything that comes to mind about self-esteem? And then that we'd have a conversation around that more general about just analyzing the lyrics of the song, listening to it together. And then it's, we would say, you know, how do you feel some of this might relate to your experience? And then it starts to become more personal. We usually would end with like a writing activity where we put on the beat is regulating for yeah too we would just sit and reflect and sort of listen to the song some people would draw some people would write a poem some people would write a rhyme about you know write a write a quick rhyme about five things you love about yourself right and so that's hard to do yeah or some people would draw express themselves in different ways or some people would just sit and listen there was no right or wrong way and then resilience would be a song about resilience and you know growth community change and so it would align with those themes and sort of what you were saying, like a story about someone, I remember it was actually the first group that I ran there after I proposed the idea. There were a lot of people who showed up. There were like 12 people who came. And sometimes a lot of the groups would get like zero to three or four. So this client, he was older. He was in his later 50s. And he had had a long history of being in and out of homeless shelters. He had spent a long time in prison. And because of this history, he had been, he was like the, one of the most long standing clients at that shelter when I arrived there and he was on my caseload. It was so hard to get him, place him into supportive housing because of his history. He had a, a, a criminal history that 
made housing providers is another sense of discrimination that people face, right? That keep people in homeless shelters. And he would he never very quiet, really would never talk much, keep to himself. He had a history of schizophrenia, so he had a lot of the negative symptoms of it, which were more like blunted affect, difficulty expressing emotion. What is blunted affect? Sort of very constricted facial expressions, you know, not as smiling or sort of it's very sort oh, of so this is sort of withdrawn yeah, and numbed almost you could think of it that's so uh, this is a total side yeah. note but when i think of maybe this is my own bias too like when i think of schizophrenia i have a totally different version in my head of what that looks like but yeah. schizophrenia isn't always like um <laughs> extraordinary right like in its presentation movies. yeah <laughs> yeah totally and its presentation can be really actually the opposite very minimal it just it doesn't look like we think it looks Right, yeah, like so some of the more classic side of it, maybe like positive symptoms, what they call it, like the hallucinations or delusions. But he had a lot more of the negative symptoms, which were like a bit more socially withdrawn, emo- you know, emotionally sort of blunted. Mm-hmm. And he wouldn't talk much, sort of very flat facial expression often. And he came to the group, and we were listening to that, that first day uh, song by Nas from his Illmatic album, It Ain't Hard to Tell. During the second half of the group where we were just listening to the instrumental and there was a writing prompt of people reflecting, he wrote like an entire poem. He just opened up and wrote this whole poem, which was really well written and really had a lot of rhyme to it. And and he was just talking about his childhood and positive memories that he's had with like eating different food with his family over the holidays and just like reliving some of these positive experiences that he said were evoked from listening to this song, that there were certain lines that brought wow, that so it's out. Like it came him. alive a little bit, yeah. given that he was like kind of, yeah, you were saying the word blunted, blunted yeah. but he was able to like express, I mean, that's like, yeah, it's, huge. It, it's something about it like the broke beat. through something. Yeah. He started it with like some, this beat. When I listen to it, it brings me back to this time in my life. The beat in, in ain't hard to tell is very, it has like a jazz, a, a jazz feel to it, and and, and there's it's a, an uplifting sound. At least I can, I that's how when I hear it, that's how it comes off to me. Yeah, and it it seems to have, it brought some of those memories out of him. There were some people in the group who came up to me after, and also another person, which was kind of funny, to one of their case managers, and said. I've never heard that man speak before. <laughs> wow. So he spoke and he expressed himself. And, and, that, and that it may sound like it's not a huge thing. No, but that's like, huge. That's so big for someone who's been in, you know, had such a history of like being institutionalized. Yeah. And, had, you know, that's beautiful. a marginalized voice to be able to, ha- you know, see other people react like, wow, like clap for him after he shared that. Like that's a really powerful experience. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. So, that was pretty touching. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that. Wow. I can like see that too yeah. for you. Like, wow, that's, that <laughs> is was. like really amazing. I was pretty shocked. He was a very quiet person. And very, very sweet guy. But, you know, he had a lot of difficulties with expressing himself. Yeah, of course. And also like why I think, I feel like these modalities are so helpful. Just music therapy, art therapy in general is because especially in a homeless shelter, and even in arguably a lot of mental health systems, you're constantly questioned about symptoms that you have identified by, especially in these public systems of care, like in prison, in the homeless shelters, you're constantly being scrutinized and questioned by problems that you have. You're non-compliant with treatment. You're have, you know, your symptoms are a problem, you know, 
anger management, you have anger issues, you know, there's all these sort of stigmatizing things that having a more strength-based approach to something can be, I feel, you know, is really important. And you say strength-based, that means? Strength-based, you know, having a group that's specifically focused on anger management or positive thinking is, I sort of hear in that an assumption that the person doesn't think positively or the person has problems with anger. And while that may be true, I mean, for many of us, I think we have anger, right? And going at it in that way can be very stigmatizing. And so having in a way that you're, you're helping someone with their anger or think more positively in a way that's not specifically, you know, identifying them by that problem is is what is more of a sort of based on their strengths. Like, okay, because like the hip hop group started there primarily because I noticed that residents in the shelter were listening to hip hop in the cafeteria. Like they were just doing this. This was, this was their way of relaxing. This was their way of coping in some ways. This was what gave them pleasure. It wasn't just saying, Oh, let's use hip hop because we're in a homeless shelter in the South Bronx, but more, okay. Like they demonstrated a connection to this hip hop culture just naturally. And so that's like a, principle in social work is like self-determination right in you know for lack of a better cliche term like meeting the client where they're at what is self-determination like supporting someone's ability to make their own decisions and using what's important to them yeah like a value and so we should use an intervention stuff that the clients value and not necessarily imposing a more you know eurocentric or approach on someone. Yeah, because one of the things that you mentioned in the study and in your work is cultural, culturally responsive mm-hmm. approaches to therapy. Yeah. What is that? So kind of what we were talking about. A lot of therapeutic approaches are tested using, not all, but there's many that are tested using primarily white demographics, age groups, and some often like college age. And then some of these interventions are you know, practiced in community, like in the homeless shelters in the South Bronx or in other, in different communities where the results of the studies that maybe have really positive results in for a predominantly white group, right? You know, it's not to say that they're not, it's not helpful completely to disregard, but like it doesn't take into account things that are relevant to the specific demographic and culture of clients that you're working with. Wow, that's so amazing. I mean, it just gets me thinking about, I mean, until I met you and Elliot, I had never even thought about hip hop. Like, I don't know. It just feels so obvious now when you are talking about how we listen to music all the time when we ride the subway, you mentioned earlier. But also, I think the bigger point, like what you're talking about, like culturally responsive, something that's culturally relevant to the demographic and the population that you're working with. Like I saw that the clients I was working with listened to hip hop. So like that would seem very important to include that in trying to help them. Right. But like if you're working with, you know, people who love country music, then maybe integrating elements of that. Right. That's where I think the research part is really important and how mental health, like different interventions are designed in, how embedded this, what you just mentioned, is in when we're developing, when someone's developing a different intervention of like asking that question before it's practiced with someone, right? Of how, how can this be more engaging and how can this be more approachable and how can this be more welcoming and, and responsive to the people that, were, you know, it's intended to help. 
Yeah, so true. So true. Because I think what um, you had mentioned earlier is like, how do we develop these different coping strategies as well, like healthy coping strategies? You mentioned like five growth, resilience. Right. It's part of uh, Raphael's model. It's esteem, resilience, growth, community and change. So it's the idea of it is starting from me and then going to we. Okay. What is esteem? Can you like walk us through what these are? So the esteem dimension focuses on our sense of self and our strengths, our attributes, our skills, what makes our our identity, who we are, and getting in touch with that and exploring that and being curious about that. And because especially like in the shelter, for example, it's hard to when you're identified in many cases by your problems. Oh, yeah, it's hard so true. to have a sense of it's hard to that was that's what we found like the esteem one was particularly important in that setting. And then like resilience would be is focused more on what are some of our strategies that we've found helpful for dealing with difficult experiences. You know, some clients would say substance use has been helpful, right? Like it's helped yeah. me get my mind off things. And then so it's it's not about teaching what's right, what's wrong, but more, you know, what are some strategies that you feel could be maybe more helpful in the short term? Like sometimes for some people that could be drugs versus what are some things that might help me with coping and being resilient in the longer term, right? What are some other strategies that might support how, you know, how, or me dealing with difficult things in, a, in the best way possible? So it almost sounds like the collaborative part might be coming from trying to figure this out together in mm-hmm. terms of like long term, what fits each person uniquely. Yeah. I yeah. The whole idea of it is a sort of going through each dimension sort of collaboratively and then sort yeah. of growth. What are some goals? Where do you see yourself? Where do I envision myself in five years from now? Or six months from now, or, you know, in getting in touch with that, you know, so we would then write maybe a rhyme about that or a picture of what five years from now looks like. Gosh, again. these are hard things to do. I don't know that I would want to do them. I mean, it's all that introspective stuff that I think sitting with yourself can be really difficult. Yeah. I think it's so important to create options for people that you don't have to write rap. You don't have to write a song. You could just write down, some people would just jot down like words that came to mind in no specific order. Or some people would just sit and listen to music, right? And the beat. Because like we were talking about before, something like with trauma and all this, when we can be, have a lot of difficulty managing our emotions and feel very dysregulated. What is dysregulated? Out of sync, out of rhythm. There's not a rhythm in a, you know, a lot of emotional ups and downs. And it's hard to like module, manage emotions navigate them in a way that's that feels like it helps us like bruce perry one of the one of the researchers on the aces study has been like a huge proponent of that has a video talking up an interview talking about why hip-hop is so helpful for people in music because it's rhythm and it's synchronized and it's there's a beat to it and so just listening to that sometimes even if people aren't writing in these groups there's something just therapeutic about listening to music and it's regulating it could help reduce anxiety depression so it's like the regulation and then the The stress response and then on top of that it's that like amazing narrative that's happening with that relatable narrative that's that engaging narrative right yeah you mentioned earlier in our conversation that like kendrick and j cole and all these amazing artists are talking more openly about their mental health struggles since your past work has focused largely with male populations given that you are a young man yourself. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about your perspective on stigma when it comes to men specifically? Yeah, I mean, 
it's gotten better, but we still, like, I feel it myself, like, we still live in a society where men are supposed to be really tough and, you know, keep emotions in and not express them in therapies more, I, you know, there's, I mean, I see it all the time, even in the practice I'm working at now, men just channel their fears and emotions in much different ways of, like, you know, working too much or staying at the office really late or, or you know, alcohol, alcoholism or, you know, uh, in just much more sophisticated ways than to just escape it. So like you're talking about stigma, that's where like the podcast and the narratives and like the video clips of people who are like celebrities talking about mental health is so I think helps with stigma, right? Because it's like, okay, like, yeah, this is normal. We all go through this like as human beings. When your friends find out that like you work in mental health, like your other guy friends, like who, yeah, are they like what? who work in finance? Who like work? Yeah, who, who work in finance? finance yeah. or something. are or, they like what? Like I have, one friend, <laughs> I have one friend who sometimes you know he worked in finance and uh, would sometimes he's like, so what do you, you know? What did you? How was your day today? This was at a time when I was working in a psychiatric emergency room. Oh wow! In my second year yeah. internship, and I was like describing a few uh, cases that I saw that day, and he was like, what? Like what? <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's it's a very different type of work. So I have to I sometimes explain a lot. <laughs> it's very different. I think when we think about mental health, we don't realize how much creativity we get to use with these kind of yeah. fields. It's, it can be a lot of fun. I mean, for lack of better terms, yeah. it can be really fun. Yeah. <laughs> what would you say to, I, I mean, you know, obviously there might be people listening who have male people in their families or have partners like do you have any words of wisdom that you can offer us in, in trying to have these conversations i think it goes back to like talking about it in cre in creative ways and part of it's just societal that like more and more it's the more like nba players are coming out talking about their mental health struggles and more people who we may perceive as, as like being tougher right are the more sort of people are making themselves vulnerable and particularly like men who have a, who are famous, I think that helps a lot with that sort of has a trickle down. Yeah. So people. exposure. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I think that's why the, the creativity part is so important. Yeah, totally. To, to address stigma. As we come to a close, do you have a song that you like love the most or an artist that you respect the most? Well, I'd say one of my, one of my favorite songs um, related to mental health and also just in general is, and also one of my favorite artists is Jadakiss, who, so the song, maybe a little biased that I use, <laughs> we used it in the group, but the song One More Mile to Go, the first line in that song, he says, when it all seems hopeless, real hard to focus, simple dilemmas become hard for you to cope with. It just is such an uplifting beat in the hook and it has this like, I just, whenever I listen to it, it makes me feel inspired and you know, motivated and, you know, it, just talking about it. I think in that song, it's relatable to everyone, regardless of your life experiences, right? There's another line in the song when it's like feeling really cloudy and losing your vision, right? And I think that some of these lines are just so relatable that they just resonate in a way that feels really uplifting and powerful i love it i love it awesome i love it is there any way that we can kind of get more information about the work that you're doing there's two articles that Raphael, travis and i wrote about sort of the experience working at the shelter and they're right now this study i'm working on at nyu it's from uh led by dr michelle munson 
NYU Silver has a website and it talks about these different projects and some of the things that have been published about it. Okay, awesome. Well, we will definitely link to that at the bottom. Thank you so much for your wisdom. It's always amazing to hear from different people who are working on this issue and this topic and and supporting people in different ways. You know, it's really exciting. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, totally. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Jessica Minhas, and thanks for joining us on I'll Go First. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Our mission is to uplift and support you in your journey of healing. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, comment, and share. And if there's a topic you'd like us to dive deeper into or would like to share your story with us, we are available on all major platforms at I'll Go First and www.algofirst.com. We'll see you next time. <laughs>